Hey again, folks. Welcome to another episode of In Melbourne Last Week, a conversation podcast where I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. My name is Ivan Pigioni, and I've been really humbled for the response for episode one of this season, and uh, I do appreciate all your support. I've been getting emails, texts, tweets, whatever you call it. I have been receiving a lot of good responses, so thank you very much for getting in touch with me. My guests for this week are two nutritionists named Lauren and Elise. They are podcasters themselves, and they currently host a podcast called Encore Nutrition, Two Peas in a Podcast. And I went to their studio where we talked about oncology nutrition and we talked about what foods may increase the risk of certain cancers and uh, just about health in general and living a very good lifestyle. I was really fortunate to speak to them and uh, I'd like to thank them as well as their producer Drew for having me in their studios. It's really appreciated. Hope you enjoy this one. I got a lot out of it. Uh, So here I am with Lauren and Elise from Encore Nutrition. I am with Lauren and Elise. They're from the uh, Encore Nutrition Two Peas in a Podcast, and I'm actually in their studio, so the quality <laughs> sounds a lot better, much better equipment. <laughs> Welcome. Than what I've used, so, about uh, that. Yeah. So thank you, Lauren and Elise, for uh, being with me. Pleasure. Thank Thanks you for, for having, having us. us. That's all right. And Drew's in the background uh, doing some stuff. So uh, shout out to Drew. He's doing some editing for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess it's weird because I I haven't done a podcast of my own in someone's studio before. It's really weird. Usually, like I do it over Skype or yeah, people come over to my place and do it. So it's 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 really it's nice weird. to be in person. New isn't environment. It? Yeah, new environment. Definitely. I mean, it's very familiar for you two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We kind of move around. From Drew's to Loz's. We haven't actually done one at my place yet. I might have to. Might have to go there next. <laughs> <laughs> nice and easy. I mean, you just need the table and the Absolutely. setup. Absolutely. Like yeah, it's nice and easy. So how's, how has podcasting been for you? Because this is your first podcast, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been a huge learning experience for us. I think you underestimate what's involved, um, not just from the production and recording side of things and editing, but also really just developing your own um, concept, but the format, what it's actually, how it's going to flow, how long things are going to be, you know, defining that audience and really hitting the nail on the head as to what they want to know. Yeah, definitely. But it's it's been brilliant. And I think as dietitians, we're very, we've always been very science focused, very, um, yeah, health oriented and to have a creative way, a creative outlet for our knowledge has been really rewarding for us. And a really different platform as well. So it's not been... I mean, we've done a lot of presentations to groups, but to to kind of be able to spread our knowledge far and wide online is is really different to what what we're we've done to. before and what we're used to. Yeah, and how's the response been for the podcast? It's been amazing. We've yeah. been oh, overwhelmed so with the response. Yeah, it's yeah. been lovely. Not just from you know those that are already supporters of our of our work, but um, yeah, we're finding it spread far and wide across the world, which is. Yeah, really special and lots of amazing feedback from strangers. Yes. Yes. Which is empowering. Really empowering. And motivating. We're so excited to keep making more. Yeah, and that's the beauty with podcasting as well because I do two podcasts, this one as well as a a Seinfeld one. And, like, you can can really tell, like, it's it's really great when you get – uh, responses from people like even if you change one person's perspective like for yeah. example like i i listen and i subscribe to your podcast thank you so yeah and it's thank really you. great and I, I you know even things like you know you did an episode recently about red meat and yeah. how like you should eat no more than 500 grams a week like, oh, I you was were listening stunned. yeah i was yeah i was really <laughs> surprised because i know that there was a risk of like the uh, increased risk of bowel cancers mm, and yeah. such, but i didn't know that you had to eat just that little amount that per yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people would eat like three hundred gram porterhouses. Yeah, a couple times a week. Yeah, I know, and that could yeah. increase your risk. So even and I love how 
I love how you express the information to us on the same level. Like you don't, you know, talk down to us or, you know. Oh, of course you know, not. I mean, we're no, humans you, too. You yeah, don't know what certainly. you don't know, that we're just yeah. here to raise awareness. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So I, I really appreciate the way that you deliver the info and uh, well, Drew's that, a pretty funny as well. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> Drew's great. It balances out our heavy dietitian minds. And yeah. also like it's threads in his bro science, which I always love. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> we were just saying before, every fad diet that we mentioned, Drew's like, yeah, I've yep, tried that. I've done that. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you my experience about it if you like. <laughs> which is actually great because he's got that really um, real, lived real lived experience, which is amazing. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think we were saying off air before that he uh, he asked the questions that the public want to know. Want to know, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. Mm. Awesome. Well, um, well, I'm here today, obviously, to speak to you too about, um, well, because you, um, you're a dietitian specialising in oncology yeah. and uh, I've been affected by oncology. Uh, I had cancer mm. a couple of years ago, uh, possibly not due to health and nutrition, though. My uh, tumour was in my pelvis, so mm. I, I don't know if health had like a big part in it, yeah. I, I wouldn't think, but uh, it would just be really interesting to hear your takes on, um, I guess, you know, different kinds of foods that can, you know, are known to increase the risk of cancer, like red meat, like we discussed, and, yeah, uh, for sure. and all that. But I mean, I guess, first of all, let's talk about your, your careers. I mean, were you two always uh, dietitians focusing on oncology, or did you start in another field? So we both, I guess, started a little bit differently. A little bit differently. So my first job out of uni was at a general hospital. Okay. So I guess I had worked across all different areas general medical, surgical rehab, mental health, um, kind of, yeah, spread myself across many different areas. Um, I realized through working across all those different areas that oncology was what I was most passionate about. And so it wasn't until um, a job had come up at a particular healthcare service that specialized in oncology that I moved across um, and really focused my career on, yeah, managing cancer patients. And that's That's where Lauren and I were fortunate enough to cross paths. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so I, I was quite um, aware that oncology was my area of passion through university and when I was still studying, I actually applied to volunteer at a, a cancer service and rather than letting me volunteer, they said, I, actually, do you want a job instead? So I worked as a nutrition assistant for a period of time while I was still at uni mm-hmm. and then was fortunate to get a graduate position in the cancer hospital and yeah a couple of years later Elise came and joined and that's where we met and yeah continued our career in working across a whole bunch of different um, oncology areas or tumor streams amongst that service yeah. both from radiation chemotherapy surgery with all different cancer types okay sure pre during and post treatment oh, so okay. we've kind of fulfilled our uh, our passion yeah and we spent a lot of work in that hospital space so providing that clinical care and I think through our years of work in that area and building that knowledge and, and really our passion, we identified that when somebody was going through cancer treatment and was getting that support from a nutrition perspective during their care, the moment they were discharged from the hospital, they were kind of waved goodbye and, and sort of wished the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they no longer had that nutrition support for after their cancer treatment in the rehabilitation and survivorship space where nutrition is so valuable and so Mm. key in that time. Yeah, definitely. And you would know firsthand, Ivan, you know, when you finish treatment or surgery, it doesn't end there. You know, you need ongoing Mm. support. Um, Yeah, and and I think we were really fortunate that we were very like-minded in having that passion and wanting to fill that gap. Um, And so... We took the step to create our own business that helped to 
yeah, fill that void within within the service. Yeah, and what does Encore Nutrition do? So we do a range of different things, but predominantly we provide a consulting service in oncology nutrition to individuals who are either have have had or at, at risk of a cancer um, issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got four locations across Melbourne where we practice and do one-on-one consulting, but we also do a lot of work in uh, workshops, group presentations. We do a lot of work with different cancer organisations, so groups like Pancare, um, Think Pink, the Leukemia Foundation, who do sort of supportive care groups, we provide that nutrition care in a group situation. Oh, wonderful. So you do a lot of nice things. Yeah, and we're also really fortunate that um, we've got access to telehealth and Skype services too. So, um, you know, location is no longer a barrier to come Mm. and see us and to access specialist cancer care. Um, We're very fortunate that we can now be providing this service, not only you know, locally, but nationally and internationally as well. Oh, for sure. No, you, you two are doing really good things from what I can see. Thank oh, thank you. you. <laughs> right. Well, we'd love to hear about your journey and the experience that you had going through your cancer treatment. Yeah, well, for sure. Well, I um, I had I was diagnosed with chondrosarcoma uh, mm-hmm. back in 2017. Um, the way that it happened was, I have explained this on the podcast before, um, but basically I had pain in my leg and my yeah. knee for about six months, mm-hmm. but it was really sharp severe pain Mm. whenever I twisted my leg outward Um, and then I because the pain was predominantly in the knee I didn't like I thought it maybe was something in my knee so I had x-rays done and nothing Mm. came up in the knee it was all negative and I thought oh what's this Mm. but it wasn't I keep I I tell people it wasn't your typical like gym pain or Mm. workout pain you and it wasn't muscular or anything no it was something it was like deep kind of pain yeah yeah um so anyway I I kept putting up with it for a few months and then I thought, no, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, my body was telling me something was wrong. It wasn't right. No, Mm. you know how you sometimes, like, you know, you get the feeling where something's not right. And good on you for doing something about it. I think so many people these days, you know, that she'll be right mentality. Yeah. You you just put up with it. So it's great that you actually went you know, to get pursued things checked it. out and pursued it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I did say to my uh, last week's guest that, you know, the fact that I went early, it actually helped me. Yeah, um, and you may have needed sure. more treatment after. Well, yeah, that's the thing, like with chondrosarcoma because where the tumour was located, because after all these scans, my specialist found out that it was in my hip through mm, yeah. x-rays and stuff. And then um, they, uh, I had a biopsy done and it confirmed it was a stage 2 chondrosarcoma. Wow. So. Um, yeah, something Lucky. really unexpected. Yeah, so yeah, caught caught early. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, uh, where the tumor was located in the cartilage of mm. my pelvis, um, to make sure that there was like you know you mentioned off air like that wide margin mm. to prevent it from coming back, I had to have the Big internal hemifelvectomy. Yeah, I was in hospital for about six weeks. Wow. Um, in my own room for three weeks and in rehab for three mm. another three. So yeah, I had to learn to walk again, and uh, yeah. it took me about six months to learn you know, without using any appliances to learn to walk. So, mm, but luckily, journey. definitely, yeah. And, has and, been. and sarcomas are really challenging to diagnose. That's right, And yeah. often, like you said, it's a referred pain. But, you know, I know that you were in a lot of pain during that, but actually really fortunate that you had those signs and symptoms that yeah. forced you to follow that up. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because my surgeon, because I got referred to uh, my surgeon, uh, mm. Dr. Powell. Yeah. Um, so he was, he was an orthopedic oncologist. Mm-hmm. He was the one who performed the operation and you did yeah. a marvellous job. Um, he, he said that with these kinds of sarcomas, um, like with my one anyway, the age of the cells was really long, probably mm. like at least a, a decade or maybe two. Wow. So I'd had the tumour growing inside my body probably since I was a teenager, yeah. you know, or maybe a young adult. I'm 31 at the moment and I was diagnosed at 29. So yeah. And it only know, just presented. Just presented like it got big enough. You know. And so many cancers are like that. They yeah. don't have obvious signs and symptoms. And 
yeah, sarcoma being one of them, but I mentioned pancare before, pancreatic cancer being another. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different um, diagnoses that are really silent in their presentation. Yeah, And so, yeah, huge credit to you for realising that something was NQR and not le- not giving up on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, mm. that, that was the thing, like, because I thought I can't live like this. You know, mm. it's ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I had the operation and um, it was very lucky because Mr Powell said that if – the tumour had spread, it would have broken my pelvis. It would have become too large for my pelvis to handle, fractured it, and then spread into my lymph nodes and eventually my blood. And the problem with chondrosarcoma is it's actually resistant to chemo and radiation. Yeah, they don't respond very well. No, absolutely not. So you would have been in a challenging position. Very challenging. It would have been a very, very, very long road back. Mm. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm very fortunate. Well, it's lovely that you've got that beautiful perspective. Yeah. Something we see surprisingly often, I think a lot of people when we describe to people what our line of work is, they go, oh, that That must must be be so hard. hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It's, you know, it's a very emotionally challenging, charged job. But you're the perfect example of actually the perspective that is gained from a really challenging and vulnerable position. Yeah. And it's so common that someone who's having what could be considered the hardest time of their life actually gains so much perspective and really appreciates all the other things that they've got. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, I feel honoured that we can support these people through the most challenging time in their entire life, really, and that we can be there to support them, to nurture them. Um, and again, not just them, their families as well. So I think for us, it's it's really, really rewarding to mm. be able to support people on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, have you had many uh, clients who've had like similar operations like hemipelvectomies or amputations yeah or anything like yeah that. particularly yeah. when well we see them a lot during their treatment um particularly in, in the clinical space that we work in but yeah post-treatment absolutely lots of sarcoma survivors yeah um and the impact particularly that a sarcoma can have on the long-term health and nutrition of somebody really depends on what their treatment was yeah so you're fortunate we mentioned that that you had surgery um, and that there wasn't that additional element of radiation or chemotherapy that can really be systemically challenging on the body and change change a lot of the ways that we process, metabolize food and impact long-term chronic disease risk as well. So well done. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I usually usually downplay it because, you know, I saw other people in hospital and they had really – they had more serious – ailments and illnesses and injuries than I had but yeah you know I think nothing of mine but uh oh well yeah. you should but give yourself lovely. a pat on the back yeah well, you it's shouldn't lovely think that you nothing s- you see yeah. it that way because yeah. there's a lot of you know a lot of people would think that actually you could see all the people in the hospital who don't have it as rough as you do yeah and um, the fact that you had that different perspective is a reflection of your attitude so yeah, yeah really nice to hear oh thank you that's <laughs> very kind well <laughs> i guess the interview it's not about me i guess Sorry, <laughs> we've got to, you too, it's but, fascinating though yeah we're, yeah definitely. certainly something we're really interested in yeah for sure and thank you for the kind words as well Pleasure. Yeah, sure so i guess we can talk about um i guess because you you deal with health and nutrition on the podcast yeah. um I guess there's many foods that we know that do increase the risk of certain cancers. I mean, Mm. what kind of foods, as far as, you know, the research goes and what you know, Mm. uh, which ones can increase your your risk, I mean, in terms of, I don't know, bowel cancer, stomach, esophageal, like whatever? Yeah, and often it is linked to particular diagnoses. So you mentioned bowel cancer and one really, uh, two really key foods and food groups that we know have got a link with an elevated risk of colorectal or bowel cancer, Uh, high loads of Heavy loads of red meat. So as you mentioned, more than 500 grams per week. Yeah. And also processed meats. 
so things like ham, bacon, salami, mm-hmm. they're actually considered a class one carcinogen. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in the same category as smoking, asbestos. And solariums. Solariums. Goodness me. Yeah, class and I one. think, your, I mean, your eyes showed me that that's not something you're aware of. No, and no. very, very much not something that the general public is aware of, um, that there is a direct causal link between uh, an intake and high intake of processed meat mm-hmm. and colorectal cancer. Yeah. Um, and certainly the World Cancer Research Fund recommends limiting or ideally avoiding intake of processed meat. So like I mentioned, bacon, salami, ham, ham. Really deli meats. And so one thing we will often recommend to our clients is not to have those sort of foods in your weekly shop. Um, Of course, we understand you've got to live and if you're at a birthday party or a social occasion and there's a platter of cheese and meat, you know, enjoy yourself, have a little bit, but certainly, you know, having a ham sandwich for lunch every single day. um, Swap it out. We certainly recommend avoiding that. Mm. And what's interesting as well is that when you look on a packet of cigarettes, there's warnings plastered all over it and really um, graphic graphic images. pictures. Yet when you walk down the aisle of the supermarket to grab a packet of ham that's $2, you, you'd be none the wiser. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they don't have the pictures of, you know, cancers forming, no. you know, yeah. your organs and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting to us. And and look, the risk is different. There, there certainly is a stronger link with smoking and lung cancer, but they're in the same category. Yeah. And I think it's I mean, one thing we're aware. hugely passionate about is awareness because how many people out there are eating ham sandwiches every day and don't have an idea of that knowledge? Yeah. And if we can suggest swap it out for some chicken breast or some shaved turkey breast or some tuna falafel even. or some exactly yeah. salmon or tuna, Happy days. Yeah. And w- one revelation from your podcast is when you were talking about red meat, you said mm. pork is considered a red yeah, meat. Yeah, it is. Mm, I, thought, it is. I thought it was a white meat. A lot of people do. Yeah. 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 Pork's actually considered a red meat. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So pork, beef, lamb. Yeah. And red meat's not in the same class of carcinogen as processed meat. No. So it it's more of a limit rather than a void. And, yeah, like Ali said, 500 grams a week is the suggestion, no more than. And... You know, if you think about if you went out for a steak or an eye fillet, there's 300 grams right yeah, there. I know. Um, and it's very, very easy to go over and above that recommendation. So, yeah, so basically when you have the steak, it's tofu and lentils for the rest of the week. Yeah, well, <laughs> or, or white chi- meat. Or chicken. Or chicken. Poultry. Yeah, and yeah, actually poultry. one recent study that's been um, released actually found that the act of swapping your red meat for poultry reduces your be risk. protective. Of oh. all cause cancer. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah so... It's not about limiting or cutting things out. It's about swapping things out. Yeah, making smart swaps. Smart swaps, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of, uh, like, what if you get a patient who is a vegetarian or a vegan? Like, mm. how do you how do you reach or how do you, um, you know, get their dietary needs in check? So mm. certainly you have to be a lot more um, considered and thought out if you are a vegetarian or vegan, particularly when it comes to meeting your protein needs. Um, however, we know there is actually a lot of data to suggest that eating um, and favouring a more plant-based diet can be protective. Um, so I guess it takes yeah a bit more planning um, and needing to be a little bit more creative with um, our food plans just mm. because we've got a little bit less to work with, mm. but it can certainly be certainly done. Certainly achievable. And what can be more challenging, I guess, in a vegetarian or vegan, particularly if they're going through cancer treatment, is meeting those needs without aggravating any side effects or symptoms that they might have. 
So a lot of our patients who, for example, might be having chemotherapy and might be experiencing gastrointestinal symptoms, so nausea or vomiting or changes in their taste or changes in their bowel habits, prone to diarrhea and constipation, if we're suggesting having a really uh, diet-rich in legumes, so things like chickpeas, lentils, kidney beans. Which are great for you. Great for you, but but we know they can flare up some of those symptoms. Of course, yeah. So we've got to be quite, like Ali said, considered and tailored with the nutritional profile that we recommend to our individual patients. And for some of those patients, we potentially may need to use a protein supplement to help them meet their needs. Um, That's not what we do for everyone, but certainly we will monitor their intake and their weight um, and then introduce a supplement if if that's needed. Mm, Okay. Mm. Interesting. But there's, yeah, look, there's a few other food groups or or things to be aware of when it comes to trying to reduce your cancer risk. So red meat, processed meat, but another particular um, food group to be aware of is trans fats. Trans fats. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, I guess confusion in terms of which fats are good. Yeah. Because, you know, there used to be this big campaign, you know, several years ago, <laughs> like in the last few decades, <laughs> where all fats all are fats bad. are bad. It's yeah. like ninety nine percent fat free. Where actually the fat free stuff's actually worse for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So and we know yeah. that trans fats behave um, very similarly in our body to saturated fats. So they're commercially manufactured fats yeah. that are added into our food system, and we know that they can increase our risk of cancer but also other chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease too. Yeah, for one. Um, yeah. So they're the sort of fats that are usually put into a lot of um, packaged and processed goods, okay. baked yep. goods. Um, and takeaway oils as well. So deep fried foods often use a trans fat in their deep frying because yeah. it's really cheap and, and easy to yeah. process. It's um, also, it has that really kind of buttery, soft Texture, melt in so your mouth, melt in your mouth yeah. texture. Tastes terrible though. <laughs> well, it Croissant, actually, what about a croissant or a muffin? I think. Oh, true. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing, yeah, you'd be surprised where they're where, where they're they added hidden. in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. interesting because when they were originally chemically manufactured, it was the thought that was that they would be better for you than saturated fat. Yeah, who'd have thought? But and it ended up that's that it was the not the case, and in fact, they're more dangerous to our health than saturated fats are. So, which fats are actually good for you? So the best fats to focus on are monounsaturated fats and omega-3 polyunsaturated fats. Okay, so things like fish. Yeah, oily fish in particular. So things like salmon, sardines, mackerel, tuna, um, nuts and seeds. So um, flax seeds. Flax seeds in particular are a really good source of omega-3 fatty Mm -hmm. acids. Almonds, walnuts, um, a mixture of nuts and seeds. Yeah, variety is key. So we always uh, recommend having a variety of different nuts, seeds, but also food products too because mm-hmm. that variety is really key when it comes to getting all the vitamins and minerals that we need but also good for our gut bacteria too. And they also love to, that variety. Yeah, and also to mix things up as well. Yeah, like, keep things interesting. Yeah, you don't want to be eating flax seeds. For <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Avocados and extra virgin olive oil are also really good sources of monounsaturated and, and those omega-3 polyunsaturated fats too. Oh, very good. Well, thank you for the, uh, the advice. I'll have to eat some more avocado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. Good one. <laughs> Good one. Um, so uh, I guess I've seen like ad campaigns recently uh, mm. on sugary drinks. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know if you've heard them like on the radio or watched them. Yeah, the TV. Cancer Council's got a really big campaign at the moment. Um, I think it's called Eat Well, Live Well. Yeah. And it's very focused at the moment on sugary drinks because that is 
is actually something that's been identified to elevate our risk of obesity and weight gain, which has been linked to our increased risk of 13 different cancer types. Yeah. And there was a recent study that was released um, as well most recently uh, regarding juices and other sorts of sugary drinks. Yeah. So the best way is to cancer. just yeah. The best, so the best way is just drink water. I guess. Well, the recommendation from the World Cancer Research Fund is avoid all sugar sweetened drinks. All okay. Yeah. Yep. There's no need for them. No. There is absolutely no nutritional benefit in a sugar, a, a soft drink, a cordial, a juice. Yeah. Not not needed. We consider them empty calories. So yeah. you know you're drinking the calories, but you're not actually you're not going to get that sensation of feeling full. No. Mm. So yeah. It's just those extra kilojoules and calories that usually we don't actually need. Yeah. And then in essence, you feel more dehydrated after as well. Yeah. So well, you feel yeah, the sugar thirsty. can really modify the way that your body absorbs electrolytes and the different um, fluid ratios. So it can actually make you feel worse <laughs> and, yeah. and certainly hungry again in another hour. Wow. So what, what foods that you've come across in your lines of research, what foods have surprised you in terms of their risk of increasing cancer? Has there been anything where you thought, oh, it's this seems healthy, but then you look at it and you think, oh, God. You know, like juice, for example. Mm, like, yeah. You know, everyone would, like when I was a kid, everyone would associate juice. Yeah, orange with being juice healthy. every morning with yeah, your breakfast. That's right. You know, daily and you juice think that you are, yeah, yeah. Is being any, healthy. Definitely. Is there anything else like that that's surprised you? I think perhaps what's more surprised us is in an individual who's actually going through cancer treatment, there are a whole range of different foods that normally would be considered healthy that actually might interfere or be a contraindication during their treatment. Okay. So if someone's having particular types of chemotherapy agents or having radiation, we actually need to be very careful about, for example, high loads of antioxidants. So if someone was having, um, let's say, I don't know, six punnets of blueberries every day. Sure. Normally you would think, great, very healthy. But in building that high antioxidant load, it can actually interfere with the impact and effectiveness of cancer treatment. Because what antioxidants do essentially is they protect our cells from oxidative damage. So in having those high loads and high doses of antioxidants, that doesn't only protect and heal our healthy cells but can also protect the cancer cells. And we want the cancer cells to be really vulnerable to the chemo or radiotherapy treatment. Oh, right, that, of course. That you may be having. Yeah. Um, which is why as well when it comes to those sort of um, treatment modalities, we you have to be really careful about supplements mm. as well and supplements that may be marketed as being really high in antioxidants, being marketed as being really healthy for you. Mm. They can actually be quite dangerous during anti-cancer treatment. Yeah. But I guess one thing that perhaps originally surprised me and might surprise the public too around increasing cancer risk is charring of meats charring, or, yeah, or anything yeah, yeah. yeah um so blackening of meats or even things like capsicum if you're charring that on the um on a barbecue yeah. can produce different amines that can actually elevate our risk of uh, carcinogenic damage in the yeah. body yeah i've heard that too yeah. yeah so if ever you you know get a steak and it sizzle mm. then you know it might taste good but it's probably really bad for you in the yeah. Long yeah yeah well, particularly if you're having it often yeah yeah so Again, like Elise said before, if you're at at a party and you've got a cheese platter with some salami, enjoy it. And if you're 
out for your monthly steak and it's um, charred, enjoy it, yeah. but don't do it every night. Just, and don't do it at home. Yeah, just bring a set of scales with you. Make sure it's under 500 grams. <laughs> yes. Okay, it's 495. Close we enough. were just talking about please this. Please don't <laughs> weigh your food. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about this on one of our podcasts, how we do not love weighing food, counting calories, all those sort of things. Life's too so short. Life's Isn't way it? too short to be yeah. carrying scales around and taking them to restaurants. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So I guess with, with cancer sufferers, I mean, mm. you, you help with the nutrition and everything. Mm. Like what, what are other things that you do to prevent their or at least minimize the chances of recurrence? Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, you know, someone could have cancer and they're cured and then, you know, they might go back to like a bad diet or something. Yeah. And there's possibly, I mean, especially if they had like stomach cancer yeah. or whatever, like what do you do? Like do you, do you make them have like a new mindset? Do you kind of give them a plan and say, look, stick with this? Otherwise there's a chance it could come back. I mean, how do you go about so there, so as we said before, there are different recommendations for the different t- tumor streams. So we will be quite specific with our recommendations based on the type of cancer that they have had specifically. So for example, we know that if you've had bowel cancer, the getting, that meeting your fiber needs is really important in reducing your risk of bowel cancer in the future. Yep. So that will be probably the number one thing we will work with, with those sort of patients will be optimizing their fiber intake. We also know um, that achieving and maintaining a healthy weight is really important when it comes to cancer recurrence for all tumor streams. So supporting our patients to either maintain their weight within a healthy range or for anyone that's, you know, potentially overweight, helping them with some really safe and effective weight loss tools to help get them into that healthy range is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once we've developed that steady baseline, we can then build on the different um, research that we know. So if someone, for example, is recovering from lung cancer, we know that one thing that's really important in reducing recurrence risk is beta carotene as a um, as a micronutrient. So making sure that there's sufficient uh, vitamin A derivatives in their diet is key. Um, another example would be in prostate, hormonally yeah. driven cancers, breast and prostate. Mm-hmm. We know that they ne- would, would benefit from, for example, intake of walnuts because that down-regulates a lot of inflammatory pathways that are linked with hormonally driven cancers. So there's lots and lots of advice that we can give. But I think what you alluded to before mm-hmm. was that we need to establish someone's individual motivation, their health goals, and work with them to achieve that. Because if they don't care about eating walnuts and and actually what what their risk is of of recurrence, that's not an area of focus. We can provide that information and education, but we're very client-focused. Yeah, and I think we're fortunate enough that – Pretty much all our clients that walk through the door are really motivated to improve their health health and reduce their risk of cancer recurrence. Yeah. That's why they're coming to see yeah. us. So I think we're really fortunate that we work with such a motivated group of people that just like yourself, Ivan, have had a health scare yeah. and want, want to do whatever it takes to reduce that risk of it ever happening or coming back again. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you I never want to go through that again yeah. you know, or at least any kind of cancer for the rest yeah. of my life. So. And I think, you know, we, we suggested before how fortunate you are to have, have had a single agent surgery as opposed to those um, other treatment types that can be really stressful on the body mm-hmm. and can elevate your risk of long-term health complications, yeah. whether it's cardiovascular disease, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And if we can mitigate some of those risks through nutritional um Mod- modifications that's really valuable too yeah and then we can live a long prosperous life exactly Absolutely. that's I, the plan yeah. that's the plan for sure and i think mindset something that you mentioned too and we know how strong a link there is between our brain and our gut and someone who might be 
uh, surviving or challenged by recovering from cancer, understandably there's a lot of stress going on in that space. Yeah, 100%. And we're really fortunate that we've got an understanding that if you can't impact stress directly where stress is happening in the brain, we can actually indirectly impact it by targeting our gut and our gut health. So if we can change the way that we eat and improve our our microbiota and our gut health, we can actually indirectly impact our mood and our brain function. Yeah. yeah. And so we can create a bit of a happy cycle where you start to feel better um, from a health perspective. There's overall. so many things we can do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned so much from you within like 30 minutes. So oh, thank it's you. been great. So I guess where can we find more about the podcast and about yourselves and Encore Nutrition? Yeah, well, look, we've, our website is www.encorenutrition.com, spelt O-N-C-O-R-E, the O-N-C being for oncology. Ah, that's what it's on, <laughs> on the yeah. I was like, Encore. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so the, the name actually means quite a lot to us in that um, Onc and Core being really central, nutrition being really central to someone's um, health, but also the concept of Encore is actually re- building yourself after a really challenging situation and sure. finding your new path to health. Um, so coming again, really. Yeah. And we want to help to obviously nurture and support that as best we can for all of our patients, but our community as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and there's links to our podcast on the website. Um, we've also, we're also on all the socials, so Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Twitter. Feel free to connect with us. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Yeah. One key element of our podcast is that we love to answer questions from our real listeners. So if anyone's got any queries about nutrition, whether it's related to cancer prevention, cancer treatment, survivorship, or just health and nutrition overall, please feel free to reach out to us, send a recording or send us a question. We would absolutely love to answer it for you. And chances are, if you guys are thinking one particular question, there's many other people out there that are thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Or like we mentioned earlier, Drew will probably answer it yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we've also got a, a weekly newsletter that we uh, drop little nuggets of nutritional gold in your inbox, whether they're little smart swaps, our favorite recipes. Um, New research that's come out. Yep, and a really cheesy joke of the week that we like to throw in there <laughs> just to keep it light. Excellent. So, yeah, we'd love you all to sign up to our Eat Our Words newsletter too. Oh, nice name. <laughs> we love our puns. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Oh, Lauren Elise, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you for having me in your studio. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for coming. Thanks for having us, Ivan. All right, no worries. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of In Melbourne Last Week. You can reach out to me via email at inmelbournelastweek at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at inmelbournelastweek. I'm also on Twitter at imlastweek. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast service. You take care, and I'll see you next week for another episode of In Melbourne Last Week. Bye. Bye.